So we have been explaining that God uses imperfect vessels, but that vessel must aim for what? Perfection. And that's what we must do. We must aim for perfection. Now, somebody said something. I don't know exactly who said it, but the quote is so dramatic. The person said, the greatest reward a man gets for his labor is not what he gets, that is materially for it, but what he becomes by it. Your greatest reward for whatever you do in life is not what you get, but for what you what? What you become. In the process, what do you become? That is the thing. What are you becoming? We've started, we've established that David started as a sinner. But God was moving him towards perfection. Let's say this again. This world we are in, the Bible says the Lord's portion is what? His people. What he is going to get, this is how it is described. Jacob labored for seven years and for another seven years. What was the reward? A bride. I hope you're getting my point. Why did he labor the first seven years? He was expecting a bride. They gave him Leah. He said, no, what I really want is Rachel. They said, do another seven years of service. And do you know what? He gladly did another seven years of service. Now, there's a type there for us to note. What is the Lord getting out of this whole existence? It is bride. Why, what is Jesus getting for going to the cross? His bride. I hope you're getting my point. So, if you want to reward Christ Jesus for everything that he has done, you aim for what? Perfection. The Bible says something. That's one unique thing about scripture. That this bride has done what? Has made herself what? Ready. So, the bride of Christ, is what she's doing all this while, is preparing herself for the husband, who is Jesus Christ. And each one of us must treat life like that. I am being perfected for Christ. All the labors that Christ ever labored, what he will get out of it, just like Jacob, is his bride. Like I tweeted about a year and a half ago, that anybody walking in iniquity has no respect for Christ Jesus. That is, you disregard what he did for you. Yes, that's just what it is. You know, sometimes, if you, if you, if you understand things well, there are so many motivations for doing right. So many. And I remember when I said it here. Yeah, I, kinda, I preached on it here. I gave an illustration then. Let us assume a man, assuming that he had lung cancer. And we know that most cancers in the lungs are found exclusively, or let me say almost exclusively, in smokers or people who do what they call secondhand smoke. That is, you're not smoking, but you live with a man who smokes. So he smokes, you inhale. So we know cigarette smoking is the number one reason people get cancer of the lungs. So let us assume, this is an illustration, that a man gets cancer in the lungs, and is a friend, or somebody, a family member, a relative, somebody I love, a brother. And there's this particular treatment that's possible to eradicate cancer in the lungs. Now, cancer in the lung till now is a very deadly disease. One of the worst forms of cancers to get. So, this person has cancer of the lungs, but there's this particular drug or treatment that's guaranteed to remove the, lung, the cancer entirely. There's only one problem. It's very expensive. So they say, how will he get it? We've checked all the money we can raise. It's not enough. So I go out of my way. I sell my car. I sell the plot of land I have. 
and I sell a, a house, and then that's it. I don't have anything again. I don't have a house. I don't have a car. I don't have land. And I give. Him, I, I use it to pay for the treatment, and he gets the treatment, and it's totally fine. And I'm not asking for anything. After all, I'm a good Christian. I'm a good brother. I'm a good friend. And then next day, maybe a month later, I go by his house, and he's on the balcony, smoking. You know, I'll shoot him myself. Just kill him. Say, there's no need to wait for cancer. Let me just kill you. Because if I kill you now, there will be no temptation to sell anything for you again. It will be the greatest. At least, if he doesn't greet me on the road, it's not a sign of, you know, it's not as bad a sign of lack of gratitude than the fact that he now takes a cigarette, which we know was how he got here in the first place. And he starts puffing the same cigarette. Meanwhile, I trekked to his house. I used to have a car. I'm not a tenant. I used to own a house. I don't have any plot of land anymore, only to, just to make him become well. And how do I get, what do I get as a reward? He's smoking? You know, that's what would drive me crazy. So Jesus looks at it after I died for people's sins. They offer them 100,000 naira, and they don't have sins again. It's a personal insult. It's a personal insult. You have just told him that you don't value what he did. Any Christian that's not working towards perfecting himself, herself, as a bride of Christ, does not appreciate his sacrifice on the cross. That's the only thing he's getting out of it. He, see, let me explain something to you. You know, like I say all the time, we often misjudge, you know, how reward is spiritually. We pastors have twisted it so much, we didn't know better. Let's correct ourselves. Somebody gives a thousand naira and he gets ten thousand, say that's reward. That's not reward. That's not Christian reward. That's not Christian perception. That's not a Christ-like perception of reward. We say, oh, he gave a million naira, like, you know, the gist, as he had the conf- I don't know whether it's true, but somebody said that it looked like it's true, that Dangote actually got up for Archbishop Idahosa and T.L. Osborne. Well, he got up for T.L. Osborne on Archbishop Idahosa's request so T.L. Osborne could catch his flight in Lagos. And the Archbishop Idahosa laid hands on him and said, the Lord will hear, the, the world will hear of you. No, no, many people have been getting up recklessly for anybody now <laughs> because, you do, because you want to be another Dangote. Unfortunately, such thoughts misguide the reason we do things. And we start going into worldly reasons rather than Christian, Christ-like reasons. The real reward for a sacrifice as a believer is to see that thing that you sacrifice for prosper. That's the real reward. That is the real reward. It's like a doctor, a surgeon, operates for 18 hours, battling, Transfuse blood, give this, do everything. His reward is the day he discharges that patient and the patient is fine. It's not what the family pays for the surgery. It's not. It's that finally he signs the discharge and the patient is going and he looks and says, Oh boy, the day I did this man's operation, even me say I won't die. But once he sees the guy walking out of the hospital and going home, you know, he's feeling, ah, the, the labor was not in vain. That is the real reward. And concerning Jesus, we are told, he will see the reward, the result of the travail of his soul. And he will be what? Satisfied. Satisfied. That, it, it satisfies him. So the greatest thing you can give the Lord is not cash. What did David say? He said, 
a contrite spirit, a broken heart. He said, that is the sacrifice you are looking for. So the greatest thing you can give Christ Jesus to make him glad is a pure life. You know, God looked at Satan and said, have you considered my servant Job? Did you hear what I said? Now, I want you to understand something. There are many things about the story of Job. I'll mention a bit of it in a moment. But I want to bring something out at this particular point. Have you considered my servant Job? Now, what I want to understand is this. God said to Satan, go and tempt him. He won't fall. And he took his eyes away. I don't know what I hear what I said. Go and tempt him. It is Job. My servant Job. I know there's nothing you can do. He won't. So sit down and talk, talk here. God say, just go about your business. He says, because you have blessed him, I will remove the blessing. He has so much money, I'll remove the money. Look at the family around there, I'll remove the family. Is that okay? Sit and say yes. Because Satan said, because sometimes we misunderstand what happened. Satan said to God, put forth your hand. And see that it was God that actually put forth his hand to remove those things. So God removed the hedge around and said, okay, I give it into your hand. So Satan went did what he knew how to do, to steal, to kill, to destroy. And Satan came back later. And God still said what? Have you considered my servant Job? Now, my emphasis, look at God bragging on somebody. The greatest tempter in the universe, his name is the tempter. I don't know whether you got that. The greatest tempter in the universe. He's so good at tempting, God called him the tempter. That's the devil. Satan. The adversary. The only thing he knows how to do is to tempt. And God looked, you must understand, God knew that Adam would fall, but Job wouldn't. I don't know whether you got that. He said, have you considered my servant Job? He said it with bragging. You know, this, a, a, a braggadocious, give me another English word that's very correct. A pumped up, arrogant, give me another word. Anyway, an extra confident way he described Job. Go and tempt him. That one came back, says it's because he's still healthy. Because, hey, you think it's because, he's, yes, he's still healthy now. He's still healthy. If skin for skin, anybody will do anything if it will preserve his life. It's okay, good, no problem. Now, go and take away his peace, his health. Take him to the edge of death. The only thing that you can't kill him because he has to be alive for us to finish our bet. Satan said, good. And he looked and said, God, you will see. And the Lord smiled to himself. My servant Job, that one, I can brag. You know, let me just say something. Which one will you choose? For God to be able to brag on you like that or for you to have a billion dollars? Just thinking about it. Just think about it. Which one will give you more joy? It's not whether you can resist or not that we're talking about for a moment. It's that God looks and he can brag. Is it not my servant? And he mentions your name. Tell the angels, don't worry. The angels say, Satan is going, Satan is going. Say, going where? To Job's house. Say, don't worry about it. Should we go and protect him against Satan? Job? No. Leave him. Such confidence. Listen, there are things to pursue in life. For me, that's one of the things I'm pursuing. What is money? 
you know, one prayer I prayed a few years ago, I said, God, help me to see from above, not from beneath. If you see from above, many things people are pursuing it. If you wanted that, you people blind. Can't you see there's nothing there? That Solomon said it is vanity. There are things that are issues of eternal substance. That God will say they are bringing threats and they are bringing money to my son's house, to my daughter's house. Say, don't worry. No angel should escort them. She will be fine. That this, I hope you are getting my point. That is what God wants from everybody. So in whatever we are doing in life, that is the aim. Listen, God will take you to experiences through disappointment. Why? The lost portion is his people. Israel is the allotment of his inheritance. In everything that we are seeing, this is the only thing he gets out of it. In all the sacrifices, what Jesus is getting, if you know the intensity of the sacrifice of Jesus, a man explained to David Paulson, the explanation till now, even though I agree with him, I can't preach it. I don't know whether I get my point. He explained how much the sacrifice of Christ is. Even though I can't disagree with him, he seems to align with scripture. But the extent he carried the illustration to, it's hard for me to repeat. I'll give you an illustration that he used, but I will not tell you what he said. Even though he can fight. Just that it's so heavy for my mouth. He said he told his children, they had this goldfish in the house. About three of them inside a goldfish bowl. So I told the children, assuming the goldfish, they are sick or they are fighting each other or doing something, how many of these you will be willing to go inside to go and rescue the fish? All the children agreed. No problem. Because they all love the goldfish. Now, I don't like English that would not allow me to use fishes for... But can I just speak bad English for a moment so you can get my point? So they all love the goldfishes. All right? So he went to the next level. See how many of you will be willing to go into the pool? Now let's assume it's a big pool. And to help the fish, the fishes, please, you know, I, be- I begged you, I can speak English, but I need to say the well way, the correct way. It's giving me confusion. I'm trying to preach my message. Anyway, see how many of you will agree to go inside? To go and help your goldfish. If you have to become goldfish before you do that, the children all agreed, we'll do that. We'll go and become goldfish, help our goldfish, and then come out. Third level, so many of you will agree to go in to help your goldfish, but there's one condition. You will have to remain goldfish forever. Eh? Nice story, Chenjo. Say, Daddy, which kind? Goldfish, I've been the kid myself for that because ain't being goldfish for nobody. Ah, to enter the pool to rescue people, is that not good enough? Okay, I'll change your goldfish for just one hour. Then we'll come back to being Europeans. Is that not good enough? And your goldfish should be safe. And I said the condition for everlasting safety for the goldfish is I must, be, I must remain goldfish. Say, bros, I know they do. The man couldn't get any of the children to agree to anything. I told you I would leave the illustration there, right? I won't say more. You can use your tongue to count your teeth and decide the rest. I'm describing the extent of the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. Because then they explained to us, don't think he just let the father's distance, just came back and went back and became exactly the way he used to be. He said, no, it doesn't work like that. It began to make sense to me. Because then why is it important that God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every other name? After all, originally, 
They had equality with God. What are we talking about? Let me just leave it there. Chew on it. So, with such sacrifice, wouldn't it be crazy for you to treat? That's why, listen, just by the way, that's why when he's angry, and when the father is angry, for those who reject the son, they are justified. They are justified. Let us assume that man that was smoking, I threw him from upstairs and he died. And the guy went to Kudu. I said, Pastor, why did you throw him from upstairs? He said, let me tell you my side of the story. You are like, control your temper, control your temper. Then when I tell you my side of the story, I say, Pastor, why did you throw him from? Why didn't you just kill him there and burn him? So that this story won't have to come to Because you now suddenly understand what I went through. I didn't know when I threw him. I lost everything for him to be healthy and now he's not smoking. And we're going back to square one. Pastor, all you did was throw him. You went in to shoot him. Suddenly you will understand my anger. Listen, when Jesus will start judging the world, even the people he's judging will know they should be judged. He's that righteous. What am I saying? The greatest thing we give to the Lord Jesus Christ is to attain, listen, level like this. Just make it the goal of your life. Attainment of perfection. Sometimes I, I hear some, sometimes pastors don't understand. Some of these who preach some of this grace, grace thing. I say you don't get the point. Grace was not given to us to excuse our sins. It wasn't given to us to continue in them because we know God will just overlook. No. He was given to us to satisfy the heart of the Father. So at the end of the day, he will look and say, Ha! This sacrifice was worth it. What joy will he get in the fact that all grace did was to redefine sin? No, that's how many people are trying to make grace to look. The redefinition of sin. So what used to be sin is no longer sin. Why? Because of grace. When you disobey God, it's no longer sin. Why? Because of grace. When God says, to, go to Nineveh, you go to Tashish, your boat will not capsize. Why? Grace covers your disobedience. Praise God. When God says, possess your body in sanctification and honor, it doesn't matter. Grace says, even if I carry two processes at the same time, it's no longer sin. Why? God does not see directly. He sees through the blood of Jesus, and my iniquity is filtered by that blood. So, oh God, this is how to go to hellfire. Telling you, and people don't understand. People who preach like that, you are doing despite to the blood. You are insulting that blood. What the blood does is to look at you, say, like God looked at Job. And said, no matter the temptation, that my daughter, that my son, don't worry. You know what he said? Listen to this. That's the meaning of what this thing I'm about to quote. Where sin abounds. That is when he say, ah, temptation there is too strong. He said, is he not my guy? He has a lot of grace. That's not the problem. Some people pray and say, oh, when the sin is plenty, grace will be plenty to cover the sin. No! It is that the grace is so much. Even when the sin is plenty, even when the temptation is strong, even when the loss of the flesh comes from one side, the loss of the eyes comes from the front, and the pride of life comes from the other side, and they surround this man, they surround this woman, they surround this child of God from every corner. Grace is with him. Grace is with her. She can never disobey. He can never disobey. That's what grace is. That is what grace is. That is what grace is. Grace means that, listen, I will overcome sin so much in the world 
that God will look and tell Satan, is my servant. There is nothing you can do. You know, one man of God preached something. I never forgot it. He was the first person that helped me to understand the book of Job. Before I knew the book of Job was there, we read his inspired scripture, but quite confusing. And people have said all kinds of things. He said, when he says, those he slays me, yet I will trust him. He said, because he said, you didn't read it well. What he said is that even though Satan slays me, yet I will trust God. Now, for information, that is a, that's not true. What Job said is, even, go, even though God slays me, yet I will continue to trust him. And I mean, it's not a strange thing. You've seen it with children. The mother twacks the child for misbehaving. Have you noticed who does the child continue to follow? The mother. They will cry, waiting for the mother to carry him. This is the twacker. And the twacky is still following the twacker. <laughs> That's what Job was saying. Even though he flogs me, yet I still demand he carries me. What did this? What did the prophet say? Even though he has injured us, he said, "Yet he will heal us." That is real faith. That is real faith. We drew this life as if Satan is on one side, God is on one side, and they are equal and opposite. After the Joshua and and um, Usik, no, I wasn't with these other two people. The Bini boy. Dante Wilder, the guy from Benin. <laughs> Just by the way, in case you're a man, eh, if you are crazy, when the child of God is talking, don't go and use juju to threaten the child. Though. Even if God was not happy with that child of God, he will come beat you just for the sake of the threat, so just for the glory of his own name. You know that's what happened with those people. Dante Wilder said the spirits of the ancestors from Benin, they possess him when he wants to box. The other one said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I give glory to him and he gives me the, the victory. You know that's what he said. I give him the glory, give him the victory. One brother said, God does not like boxing. God says it's not relevant. Um, I, are... <laughs> Neither do I like fight also. When I killed Goliath, I didn't like fight. <laughs> Once Goliath came insulting me, I anointed my guy to go and deal with him. So when Dante, what I said is, God, you say, see, say, God is not interested in violence sports. That one of our brothers said, God said, even me, I know. But right now, <laughs> What is going on is violent faith. It's not about that spot. One man is insulting me. Will I keep quiet? So God possessed. What's the name of the other guy? Tyson Fury. So that one, two times, he beat the other guy, beat him well. Beat him the first time. The guy went and did more incantation and came back stronger. So that guy too went to church, worshipped and praised, and took communion and came back. <laughs> I'm beating me again. Because when you finish, you can go home and be certain whether I'm inside battle or I'm not in the fight. But at least I've defended the glory of my name. The Lord is good. That's an aside. The point I'm making is this. We treat as if they are two heavyweights. They are not. They are not mates. God and Satan, they don't operate at the same level. They don't. He's much higher than that Satan is. What God just wants. You know who and who are actually fighting? Is we and Satan. We are the ones on the same level. We are the ones that God needed to possess with the spirit of Christ to take above his level. The only way he can bring us down to his level is through temptations. And God is building us to a point where the priests of this world will come. And we have nothing in us. That's what Jesus told us. That is where God is taking us to. Why would we read that Psalm 51? This is so important. Every Christian should understand it. Paul said, let's 
cleanse ourselves of what? All defilement of flesh and spirit. The truth is this. Sometimes these defilements, they hide. And we don't know they are there. You know what happened to David? It's simple. There was a hidden def- God had been working on him for a very long time. This is my own personal conviction. After God anointed him, I believe, this is not written in scripture, so you can disagree with me, but there's no need to disagree. It makes a lot of sense. I believe that Samuel decided to start training the boy. I don't know how they used to meet, but Samuel decided to start training the boy. I suspect he used to go and visit Samuel. I suspect Samuel used to come by again once in a while, but more likely David used to go stay with Samuel. Samuel began to teach David. Bear this in mind, that was how come David knew you don't touch the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. It's not like that overtly written by Moses. It was the knowledge of the prophet that he passed on to the king, the young king. Young kings have to be taught. Yes, they have to be instructed. Joash was taught by, uh, what was the name of that uh, high priest? Eh? What do you call it? Yeah, Jehoiada, thank you, Jehoiada. He put him on, took him on. In fact, it was when he died that your young boy went mad. Someone taught David, taught him a lot of things. Taught him what to avoid, what to do, what not to do. Instruct, you think David was there as a little boy knowing how to read all the scriptures? I doubt that. But I believe that Samuel and people that maybe he deputized to do that for him taught the young boy how he kept on growing in faith. He kept on growing in the knowledge of right and wrong, the righteousness by the law. He kept on growing until Samuel died. And of course, by that time, he had learned to read the scriptures by himself. Or how else do you think he learned how to meditate on the word of God regularly? Somebody had to teach him. Not his father. His father who conceived him in, you know, the the conception? He wasn't the one. I believe someone told the boy, take these scriptures and read. The things that Samuel's sons did not know, David understood. He showed him the word of God, boy, read this regularly. This is what the Bible says kings should do. What Moses said kings should do. And David was taught. And he told him, don't, whatever happens, don't touch Samuel, uh, um, Saul. Let God take him at his own time. Your hand must have no involvement in his death. And so this young king was being trained regularly. Now where am I going? Despite all this training, something was hidden inside. And God does not want us to end this our processing period in this life without every negative thing removed. In case you do not know it, that's the reason why Job went through what he went through. Job was very good, but it was not good enough. Job was the best on this earth, yet he was not good enough. I've studied this for years now. I've meditated on it for years. I've not had any new understanding to go beyond this level. God wanted to purify Job further for a number of reasons. One, for Job himself. Two, for the rest of us to follow. But the point I want to make is that as good as Job was, God said, you are not yet good enough. However, and that's why you have to be careful. Don't set human beings as your standard. Because there was nobody else for Job to compete with. There was nobody else for Job to compete with. He was the best of all the men on the earth. But then, no man on the earth had attained the righteousness of God. And that's why God, you know the story very well. Satan did not come complaining about Job. 
Satan had given up on Job. Job was no longer a prayer point for Satan. It was God that started with, have you considered my servant Job? Yes. But this, and God were the ones that began this whole trade. All right, go and do that. He came back, have you considered my servant Job? Satan felt he was going to deny God something, but God was amplifying something he already had. And like that man of God taught me then, in the meeting I was present, I wasn't talking to him directly. No, he was talking to me directly, but it was in a big meeting. He said, God kept that book in the Bible to cure the backsliding of saints forever. There's nothing you want to go. I've heard people say that I don't know what God is doing. And I, I, I believe in God. Eh? It, it was not working. That's why I backslid. Just tell some people that you never believed. You were testing. Because what have you gone through? And this is your story you want to tell us that Job did not go through more. God put Job there to shut everybody else up. I was believing God all my life. I did not stay. I did not, I did not do anything yet. I'm poor. God said, eh? You, at least you didn't lose money. You were poor before we started. You are still poor. So what is this thing? <laughs> there's, there's a way people brag over looking at. If I answer this individual. Job went from the height to the, not just the low. He went below the ground. Lost everything in a few days. And you are here making out. Some people say that they gave offering. God has not reported. <laughs> For those who have not heard it before, there's no way to give enough for God to repay. There's no way. No, there, it's not possible. It's just not possible. Because you are owing too much. Once you want to start drawing accounts with God, when God brings the balance sheet, you're not in the red, you're in the bottomless pit. You, <laughs> your balance is down. No bank can calculate how negative you are. The computers on this earth will shut down when God starts giving you account of how much you need to pay. Free oxygen. Go hospital first. Go find out the price. I'm not kidding. I've seen it. Currently in this hospital, it's like 20K a day oxygen. And it's cheap. 20,000, yes. If they put your face on oxygen, it's 20,000 that your father is paying every day. That is cheap. That's only oxygen. No. I told him my friend, his wife was in ICU for three days and she died. Yet, when I saw the bill, I said, no, I want a breakdown. I was trying to help him get things ready so that they can take the body and go and bury and all of that. So I sent one of my doctors to go to the place and go and get the bill for me. She sent me a message, sir, so, so, and so, and so. I said, no, it's not possible. She was there for three days. I said, I want a breakdown. So she went by and said, oh, God says he wants breakdown. When they broke down, that every tongue might be silenced. And I kept quiet. At the end of three days, Bill was like half a million naira, and the fellow is dead. And that is the one we didn't pay for. The ones that he paid cash, I was present that cash is coming out regularly. He not joined that one. And all of this did not include the charges for the doctor's services. That was not included. So when you want to do account with God, just don't go near. No, he has given us how to calculate it. Solomon, in all of his glory was not as arrayed as one of these. That is, God invests more money in keeping flowers bright for 24 hours than it takes Solomon to dress himself in his best regalia and sit on his throne with all the gold. That's, that's flower. If God were to monetize the cost of a heartbeat and you sit down and do 70 of it in one minute and you do 
60 of those minutes in one hour and do 24 hours in one day. You see, your computer is already overheating. I never even start. You, your processor is already, the fan has come on now. <laughs> That's only your heartbeat. Sometimes I think about how the eyes see and I'm marveled. Please don't do account with the Lord. Unfortunately, when you start doing that accounting, that's when Satan comes, brings his chair. Satan has, is a chartered accountant. I can. Satan has it. He's an ACCA. He's ACCA. He has an American board of chartered accountants. Australian board. There's no accounting he cannot do. Annan, there's another one in Nigeria. Annan, he has it too. The moment they opened, he collected. So when you want to do account, he sits down. Say, Lord, I gave you a thousand. I say, Lord, sorry. He gave you a thousand. Last week, he did not give at all. He might not sit down. I noticed that he was breathing too much yesterday because he was running. Help the Lord calculate. You told me that each cost of one breath at today's exchange rate should be like. When he calculate, say, the Lord, this guy should have died 16 years ago. <laughs> Look, why you want to approach God? Please don't call a calculator. Don't let the pastor lie to you. That bring your tight card. That's your death card. Don't bring anything. When you want to enter, you enter. You just need them. Say, what are you doing here? I'm covered by the blood. <laughs> Satan can't answer that one. There's nothing he can see. He can't answer that one. You want to ask for something? Say, Lord, why? In the name of Jesus. Satan doesn't have anything to say. What is accounting degree? Some malfunctioning. Nothing. In fact, they even tell you, go out, go out. Important people are talking. Go outside. Go outside. That's why when you want to ask, the Father only hears the voice of Jesus. You are the one making the request. Jesus is the one that his voice is being heard. So when you say, what did he do wrong? No sin was found in him. So they take his righteousness and apply it to your own requests. Why do people want to just shortchange themselves? Not be arguing with me. But Hannah made a promise to God. I said, Did Jesus, was Jesus present in, in Hannah's case? No. So please don't infuriate. Is my English good? Don't bring it down to the level. I mean, come on. Ah, thank you very much. <laughs> no, you don't go to God and be quoting any nonsense. You come covered by the blood. You come in the name of Jesus. Listen, when Job, as good as Job was, he wasn't good enough. And God wanted to teach him the righteousness by faith. That's why he went through everything he went through. And at the end of the day, he said it, I've heard of you with the hearing of my ears. Now my eyes see you. You go and read the story of Job. God said, stop comparing yourself with mankind like yourself. Compare yourself with me. God was not trying to make Job smaller. He wanted Job to have a higher focus so that Job can rise to a higher level. That's what was going on. In David's case, God has so prospered David. He had killed Goliath, apart from the bear and the lion and everything. God had established him on the throne. Something began to creep in David's heart. That would bother me if I try. Look, all the sacrifices. When people want to lie to me something, they don't know that I'll be laughing in my heart. Say, I know the sacrifice you are making. I say, hey, 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 hey. Stop it. Don't make me feel too happy with myself. I'd rather you tell me that, Pastor, God has used you, but there are so many more things he wants to do. If you tell me like that, it might not sound nice, but that's more humbling. 
Say, ah, God has used you to teach us. So. But something in me just says there's another level. That's better. You know what you have told me? Your disobedience is why we are not hearing more from your mouth. Eh? When they say go, you won't go. When you say pray, you'll be sleeping. Mommy, I will tell you to fast. You go and eat. That's <laughs> why. <So, laughs> No, when you say it like that, then a man is humbled. You are humble. I'm telling you, you have humbled me with those statements. That this one, that God could have done more, but mm, stubbornness will not let us hear from your mouth. And so the little the Lord is doing, I'm humble. Not the one that says, man of God, you are paying price, you are paying a great price. I've seen preachers say, so I'll just be feeling sorry for them. And the Lord said to me, you are paying a price. God won't tell you anything like that. does not tempt people to be making your hair swell. Look, let me tell you when you are going to hear well done from the Lord. At the last day. Right now, Paul said, I forget the things that are behind. I keep on pressing for the things that are ahead. That's the one God says from you. You know what Jesus said? He said, which one of you will have a servant that will go to the farm and do everything very well? He will not come down, he will not tell him to sit down. Say, sit down for what? He said, you will tell him, first go and save me first. And then you cannot come down and sit down and take care of yourself. He said, in the same manner you should say to him, we are unprofitable servants. So I said, God, now I said, you know, my son, you are paying a great price. There is no... How can poor people pay price? Does it make any sense? You have nothing. If God wanted to talk, what did you say? I just, I just manage you. That's the better thing for him to say than to tell you that you are paying a great price. You know what he told Israel? I'm not bringing you into the land because of your righteousness. You are a stubborn people. Our statement is very humbling. You know, they were winning wars. They were feeling happy. Hey, 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 hey. We have come. We Jews. God just looked at them. See, look at them. They don't raise shoulder. I know the Jews, they are not big people. They were small, small people. They were really feeling very happy. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know, we are too much. God said, I'm not bringing you because of righteousness. I'm taking those people out. They are a replacement for nonsense. Those people, I'm taking them out. Tourists, I'm bringing you in. Because those people are wicked and because I promised your fathers. So let me just warn you before you start feeling too quiet with yourself. If you misbehave there, see the way those people, I threw them out. The door is still open. I shove you out through the same pathway. So anytime you're in the land, you should be worshipping. Thank you, Lord. You know, <laughs> you know when they used to do both first, I think it's first fruit, was it tight? It's first fruit. If you see the recitation they needed to recite, it was to humble them very well. Say, so my father was an Aramean. My mother was a wandering. <laughs> that is, by the time they describe it, we were aliens, we were slaves. Then the Lord brought us out and then he established us in this land. You know what God was telling them? All you have is grace. You don't deserve anything in yourself. So when the man said, God said that you are paying the price, I said, no, God doesn't say such things. He doesn't. Because if you get into your head, you start feeling too important with yourself. If you obey him, good for you. And I can assure you, your obedience is not 100%. It's 99.9. This is 0.1. I'm telling you. And that's why you've done very well. So that's why Paul said, we keep on doing what? Pressing. We keep on pressing. We keep on pressing. So when David began to feel good with himself, God said, let's show him the little thing that is hiding somewhere. So he told all the angels, move back, move back. David was really very happy. He said, me, I'm a righteous man. I'm not like Joab. 
Even, even this Abishai, all these boys, I don't know the kind of people they are. David did not even know having many, many, many wives was a bad thing. You know, God never told them. You know why God didn't tell them? To prevent riot. riot. If he had told them there would be riot in Jerusalem, they would go to the front of the temple. God, what do you mean? <laughs> God said, please, please, please. I don't want trouble. Just don't take another man's wife. You can marry as many as you want. Is that okay? He said, yeah, correct God, correct God. You know, students. <laughs> That's what happened. But God just looked at him and said, this man does not know how wicked his heart is. He just saw small Bathsheba. He didn't see Bathsheba too much. Though. He said Bathsheba. <laughs> it, it was a setup. It was a setup. It was a setup. God wanted him to know that your heart is not as clean as you thought. And all this while we've just been carrying you, and yeah, you are raising your shoulder. But I know why David and Paul said to us, if anyone, if any one of you is overtaken with an offense, he said, those of you who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of humility. Why? Fearing lest you yourself be tempted. Don't say, I always knew that brother was not serious. Come to church, he won't come. Look at it now. He has fallen. Now he has gone to impregnate his mother. Hmm? His ministry is over. We thank God for our lives. Holy people. We are senior apostles in kingdom world ministries. God is just looking at them like this. Saying his heart, this boy has impregnated seven people. But I know great and happy. They are busy everybody else now. And if he continues, we will leave him like we left David. They will come back with humility. <laughs> exactly what happened to David. God just said, everybody, yeah, move back. Just saw Bathsheba without angels for once. You know, you know what angels used to do? When the women are passing, they put card. <laughs> oh, it is yesterday that Bathsheba parked to that place. They've been living there for some time. <laughs> but they did not let him see. He said, David, when God was saying, have you considered my servant Job? He never said, have you ever considered my servant David with women? He never said it. Because Satan will say, ah, okay. <laughs> Make a long story short, God didn't want him to die like that. So he exposed that part of his life. You know the story. Time will not allow us to paint that picture more dramatically, but you know the story. Now, I won't go into details about the story. What I want to bring out from there is that when God showed that to David, he did not react the way Saul reacted. Saul was a master of excuses. Anytime you are given an excuse for every disobedience, just know that you are, you know, you are hindering your own spiritual progress. Once you are, see, every disobedience has an excuse. Did you get my point? You think Samuel was, uh, Saul was lying? He wasn't lying. Everything Saul said was factually correct. It was not him, it was the boys. Why did he offer the sacrifice? The, the Bible made it clear. The people were scattering from him. And the Bible was clear. Samuel did not come at the appropriate time as far as he was concerned. It was on the last day. Do you know Samuel was very wicked as far as Saul was concerned? He came at the very last moment. You said we should wait for you for 24 hours. So now came at 23 hours, 59 minutes and 49 seconds, just 11 seconds for you to walk in. Is that no wickedness? That's the way he reasoned about it. What I'm going to say, every disobedience has an excuse. 
So I'm say that, you know, the way the country is, you are speaking for Satan. In this country, everybody has, you are speaking for Satan. Once the country is the reason why you are disobeying, once you start pointing fingers, the reason why I'm disobeying, they ask Adam, what have you done? He said, you see, I was alone. The giraffe never disturbed me. I had two dogs. There were no issues. Then the woman you now added to the combination. She's the one that gave me. All the time I was working with my crocodiles. I had pythons in my house. You know, I had dogs. All kinds of pets. Then one day you now brought a woman. That was when disobedience started. Lord, let's be honest about it. If you had let me the way I was, did I come to you that I was not all right? You were the one that said it's not good for the man to be alone. Is this what you wanted me to be? All the excuse, now God, it wasn't my fault. Well, it's not you and the, the woman that came into my life. I don't disobey God normally. You know. Did I disobey before I married? That's how to be destroyed. He that is rebuked and hardens his heart. So suddenly be destroyed. You know what the Bible says? Without remedy. That's what the problem was. That was what the problem was. In David's case, he didn't do that. You know what he did? He went to Psalm 51 and composed it. Let us read it again. And that's our prayer and we'll close there. When he saw it, he began to pray. He said, I was brought forth in iniquity. That's verse 5. And in sin, my mother conceived me. What you desire is truth in the innermost being. He now said in verse 7, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, he said, and I shall be whiter than snow. He said, um, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or right spirit within me. He kept on praying, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, that is, forgive my sins, O God of my salvation. He said in verse um, 15, O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I will give it. He said, you are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices you desire are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart to God, you will not despise. That was what he presented to God. Anytime we present this kind of heart to God, you know what he does? He begins to change us by himself. You can't change yourself, but you can acknowledge your iniquity. Did you hear what I said? You cannot change yourself, but what do you do? You acknowledge your iniquity. Let's bow down here. Let me stop there. I just wanted to say as much as possible. So much more to say, but this is enough. Let's close it here. That's how we tap into divine mercy. That's how we, type, we tap into divine mercy. Acknowledging our iniquity. We have a purpose to remove every bit of iniquity from our hearts. That's the purpose. That's the goal. That's what we are facing. To remove every bit of iniquity from our hearts. That one day God will look and say, no, if I put this young man, this young woman in the midst of all the temptations, I'm, I'm certain. He said, have you considered my servant Job? I will be able to brag on him, on her, just like I bragged on Job. That's what we are aiming for. And every time we have failed, it's not God trying to condemn us. It's to point to us what we need to pray about. Please stop making excuses for your disobedience. Summarize it, I have done wrong. Yes, I know my friends asked me to do it, but I'm the one that did it. I know my wife pushed me to do it like Adam, but I'm the one that did it. I know my husband is, you know, incited me into it, but I'm the one that did it. So focus on I'm the one that did it, so that God may forgive you. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Paul said, sometimes the spirit is defiled. We have a new spirit in Christ Jesus. But Paul said it can be defiled. That's why we still pray like this. And renew a steadfast spirit within me.
Let's pray and ask the Lord for grace. Always is the one that is at work in us, both to will and to do. It's not just giving us the, the desire, it's also giving us the ability. So let's ask for grace and say, Lord, it is only by your grace and we tap into that grace. Grace to please you, grace to walk in righteousness, grace to continue on that path of righteousness. Hold my hands. Oh, pray that prayer. Say, Lord, hold my hands as we walk in that path of righteousness. Hold my hands. Strengthen me. Until we get to the destination, which is to become like Jesus. Lastly, let's give the Lord thanks again for the word that we have received. And say, Lord, we thank you. Thank him for instructions that you have received. Thank him for light that you have received. Yes, give the Lord thanks. Thank him for grace that has been impacted. Lord, we thank you. We are grateful. All the glory to you. Blessed be God forever. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Let's share the grace in fellowship as we go. One, two, three, let's go. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out of under the cursing to the blessing. All things are passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the spirit of Christ. We live above sin and we walk above the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is our season of the demonstration of the spirit and of the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please declare that powerfully to your neighbor, one to your left and one to your right. See, this is your season of the demonstration of the spirits and of the power of God. One more person. This is your season of the demonstration of the spirits and of the power of God. In And the last one to yourself. This is my season of the demonstration of the spirits and of the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Share your brethren.